0: Live from the offices of police background.net. This is is the Police Applicant Podcast
1: Podcast.
0: with your host Ken Royball. Hey, welcome everybody to another episode of the Police Applicant Podcast. This is episode number 25. And here today is my amazing co host, Minerva. Minerva, what's happening? Hello,
2: hello. Man. It's all good. I'm good. I'm doing good today.
0: <laughs> we had to do a little juggling for this uh, for this podcast, uh, and we're not on our regular day, but everybody came together. It all came together, and uh, uh, I don't think we have any big announcements to make, but uh, just real quick, guys. It, I'm going to, after the first of the year, I'm going to have like a little midweek, uh, maybe like a Wednesday thing, where it's just going to be a little announcement thing or, or, or things that... Uh, Uh, I don't want to address during the regular podcast. I'll make a little quick little five minute, 10 minute thing. It'll be just information, what's coming up, things like that, just news. So that's coming up. Other than that, we should just get right into it. I have an announcement. Oh, yes. Actually. Yeah. Now
2: that I thought about it. (laughs) So, um, I mentioned to you that my little sister is graduating from the Customs and Border Protection Academy tomorrow. That is cool. So, I don't know if any of them listen to this podcast, but congratulations to Session Five Seven One. I guess they call them sessions. Session. And uh, so tomorrow's their big day, their graduation. So a shout out to my sister Julie and her classmates.
0: Julie, well, congratulations to Session Five Five Seven Eight Seven One Five Seven One, and that's what they call their academy classes.
2: Yeah, I didn't know that. I was like, what's your class number? She's like, we're session five seven one. I was like, excuse me. Excuse me
0: pardon me. <laughs> pardon me. Jeez. Well, today's uh, today's podcast is is we had mentioned this before. Our guest is uh, Brandon Merkelbach, and uh, he is a sergeant, he's he's a sergeant and he's a background investigator with uh, California Department Rehabilitation Correct <laughs> California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. Boy, I just messed that up pretty good, huh? Uh, and so he's a background investigator. But Brandon was—I mean, before he be- he became a background investigator doing that assignment, he was a a uh, corrections officer in the prisons. And when Minerva and I heard Brandon that you were like, we we got all excited and uh, we said we got to have you back. And so we—this is the next episode. So we welcome back Brandon to the uh, to the podcast.
3: Thank you, guys. It is good to be here. And, good to be back on with you.
0: Yeah, this is where we get into the nitty gritty of corrections. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, Minerva and I had mentioned earlier that we are uh, deathly fearful of being in a in a in a prison with a bunch of uh, convicts because these guys. Now you know when we hear about convicts, you know th- when they're out in the street, they're ex-cons, right? But when Brandon deals with them, they are convicts. This is the real deal. Right. Yes. So we've yes. got questions. <laughs> Minerva, we got questions <laughs> for Brandon about this. I have
2: this. lots of questions, you know, because I've actually been to the prison. Is it Palmdale or Lancaster up in Anibal Oak Valley? There's one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I went there to do a background. But when I was in college, uh, one of my professors did a... Uh, tour of a federal prison uh, Terminal Island which is off in uh, San Pedro and we actually were walking amongst the convicts there, (laughs) Mm. and that was so uncomfortable and I wasn't even a cop then but it was very very uncomfortable so I can't imagine what it's like on a daily basis to be inside a prison with all these convicts so i have questions about your feelings and what it's like to work there <laughs> and minerva and
0: i were talking uh, yesterday brandon about you and we said we gotta we gotta do our research we were gonna watch american me and
1: <laughs> do our research
0: about the prisons <laughs> yeah,
3: homework. Homework. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. man yeah it is it is a it's an experience. I, I'll say that you know. I mean, uh, you you test you test yourself when you work inside a prison. That I can't say. You know, and and you do get tested. So it'll be interesting to break it all down, kind of answer some questions, and then uh, you know, give you guys kind of an inside experience of what it's like without you know having to watch a movie. So yeah. Now you've
0: been uh, you've been a corrections officer since two thousand eight, if I remember.
3: Correct. Correct. Joined the department in two thousand eight. Um, Started uh, started actually prior as a uh, non custody staff and then was able to switch over to custody um, shortly after. So um, you know I remember my first day working inside a prison. You know and it wasn't even in, as a uh, as a sworn staff um, role, but first day walking through you know walking through the institution, walking through the prison and seeing. You know, yellow lines. It's like, well, what are those yellow lines? Well, that's where the inmates have to stay within, right? Stay with, walk within the lines. Like, okay. Um, you know, and then seeing the inmates, it's like, wow, you know, really, really, right. There's there's no, there's no way out, you know, if something where it happens, you know, you're relying on each other inside the prison. So, um, I, I remember, you know, my first, my first week, I think it was, uh, working inside a prison. I noticed, um, I was walking through the medical area and there was an inmate who was brought into the medical area and his head uh, was shaped like a football because he was attacked. He was assaulted. And from my understanding at the time, it was uh, he was um, hit or beat with uh, a push broom. Right. So after seeing what he looked like, you know, after what a push broom (laughs) can do, I realized, man, I'll never look at a push broom the same, you know, but, um, it was, again, it was definitely interesting to, to have that experience right, right from the start, right out of the gate, you know, to see that kind of violence and to see, um, to see something like that take place. It's like, okay, well, I guess all the movies that I did watch about prisoner are pretty true. You know, they're pretty accurate. So there's a lot of a lot of stuff that does and can happen inside a prison. So, would
0: you say that uh, that movies do prison stuff justice? I mean, is it true to life for a lot of the movies?
3: It is. It is. I mean, you know, to every every prison is going to be a little bit different, right? Every state's prison is going to be a little bit different. That's like you know, <laughs> if you watch a movie about, uh, let's say, you know, uh, police officers, you know, there's going to be very Uh, there's going to be similarities, right? There's going to be some things that are very similar and then there's going to be some things are like, well, my department doesn't really do that, you know? Um, But when it comes to prisons, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it is very similar. The last prison that I did work at was a female prison, which that is a, an entire different, that's um, an entire different beast in itself, you know, working with with female offenders. But yeah, that's um, what
2: I was really curious about how the you know, females differ from the male. <laughs>
3: we'll we'll get into that. We will, and they do. They, it is It's a whole different world inside a inside a women's prison. Yeah. But um, you know, after watching there was a show Orange is the New Black, right? Mm-hmm. My, wife, yeah. my wife got really interested, and I and, and I what caught my interest in it was like, yep, that actually happens. No, nah, that's kind of far fetched. Yep, you know, and I was just instead of watching, watching the show for the content, I was more watching, you know, re- kind of reading between the lines like, yeah, no, that's not true. Yes, that <laughs> does happen. So you know, it's just kind of different, different, or uh, uh, different um view on it. But, um, it, it is, it is definitely, definitely an interesting world inside of prison. So.
0: Well, let's find out about, uh, the first part of your journey. And I, I've never, Minerva, I've never thought about the, uh, the correct, corrections officer academy. I mean, I never thought, was it live in its state? Was it live in? Where is it? <laughs> so,
2: yeah, I don't know. Where is it? It's, it's like this mystery. It's
0: secret. <laughs> Tell us about the academy.
3: I can't. I can't. It is a secret. Uh, <laughs> not, it, so we do have, we have one centralized academy location. Again, uh, the state of California, you know, when it comes to state prisons, we hire correctional officers uh, up and down the state within our 30 32 prisons that we do have so uh the academy is located in northern california in galt i don't know if you've ever heard of galt but it is yeah. somewhere in the northern area <laughs> um so it is it is at our uh in galt california again there's one centralized academy um more recently the state was actually talking about um breaking the academy down into two sections, a northern and a southern. Because we do have so many candidates who come through the department every year and it is one centralized location. We were uh for a while the talk of a southern academy has been been on the map. And um if and when it does happen, it will be in the um, inland empire slash LA area. So we'll open up a second academy. But uh, for now, we, we still do have a centralized location. It is in Gall, California, and it is a 13 week academy. Currently, went from 16 weeks down to 13 weeks, and we have um, 13 weeks to get these applicants who you know who go from candidates to applicants to now cadets. You know, 13 weeks to get the cadets ready for uh, I mean a whole whirlwind of issues that could potentially happen inside a prison. So. That's a big um, cut
2: though, three weeks that's,
3: <laughs> that's It a is big a big cut. cut What they ended up doing was they transitioned from uh, from the academy time to the uh, kind of like what uh, like what FCOs are, for field training officers um, they actually have um, the staff who train uh, the new cadets that come in hires so once they get sworn, once they graduate the academy, they finish up training uh, at the institution, at the prison that they're at They'll get trained, they'll get shadowed, you know, they'll they'll be watched, uh, they'll get set up with um, senior staff who have a little bit more working knowledge and then they'll get trained hands on that way versus um, versus going to the prisons like they used to and then having them, um, having them shadow for a day and then going back to the academy. So, you know, we'll just we'll pay you, you know, your, your sworn officer will pay you now and we're just going to give you hands on on the job training. And so they actually started this large push, um, statewide for what essentially would be FTOs, you know, in, in the streets, but in the, within the prisons. So it's a continuation of their training and, um, not necessarily a continuation of their probation It's just, that's when their probation starts, but it is a continuation of their training to get better hands-on experience on the job versus let's say, you know, going to one prison for one day. And then again, going back to the Academy and then. Going to someone else, you know, some another prison the next day. Get them more comfortable with sense. where they're at. Yeah, get them more comfortable with where they're at, getting get them more comfortable with their working situations, uh, how, you know, how their their prison that they're assigned to works and facilitates. And then again, getting them trained and uh, getting them ready, you know, to be able to kind of wean off of a training officer and do it on their own. Well,
0: I was going to
2: ask so you. The academy. Oh, good. <laughs> sorry the academy does that until like 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 a regular police academy where there's a lot of physical activity like Mm -hmm. are they running you know pt and i'm assuming a lot of self-defense stuff because that's really (laughs) probably going to be dealing with but um like what what how is it different than the police academy like a patrol academy
3: so it is it is different um we're so the penal codes that govern uh, correctional officers is going to be a little bit different than, you know, what uh, penal codes govern um, street cops. So basically we are looking at arrest and firearms, arrest and control and then firearms. Uh, we deal with chemical agents it's the same, um, but 24 seven sworn duty is going to be a little bit different. And that's where we draw the line for now. Uh, I have heard that that is going to we're looking at um, starting to teach that at the academy and, you know, go into 830.2 and kind of break it down a little bit more so that we can have 24-7 peace officer status for correctional officers in the event something were to happen Uh, civilly, you know, in the event something were to happen um, within the state, now you have more sworn officers readily available to go and respond. But again, that is something that, you know, the state is talking about down the line. Um, But the primarily focus for for correctional officers and the training is going to be um, a lot of communication de-escalation, right? Like you mentioned, Minerva, we are, we are hands on, you know, in very close quarter with a lot of, you know, with a lot of the convicts or with the inmates that are housed within CDCR. So it is a lot of, um, a lot of communicating. We do have a lot of, uh, a lot of cadets who come through that they, you know, they might not have had a lot of communication, um, experience with, you know, let's say customer service or with, with, um you know, civilians outside, they they might not have had a job where they really needed to talk to people and get to know someone or, or hear someone out. Right. And that's, you know, in any, in any, in any, uh, responding, uh, profession, communication is going to be one of the most important, um, one of the most important aspects because you got to figure out what the key or the root of the problem is without having to jump to conclusions from an emotional standpoint. So you have to hear, right. You have to hear what the person's saying, you have to communicate with them. And then, um, you know, then you got to find out how we can solve or resolve the issue without having to go into physical force or, you know, uh, a greater level of force. So a lot of it is communication de-escalation. A lot of it is, um, um, like, uh, individual response training. So how you respond to certain situations, scenarios, not every situation has to be used with force, you know, and I know that's a big, and that is a large issue right now, you know, on the streets Mm -hmm. is how, you know, uh, every move that, um, any, any officer makes is going to be, you know, it's going to be on a magnifying glass and it's going to be, you know, thrown on the big screen and everyone can Monday morning quarterback, how they would do it. So this is kind of done in the individual setting where, uh, the individual person will be, um, judged by a, you know, by, uh, a, a, um, a critiquer who, you know, will walk them through what they did, you know, kind of uh huddle with them afterwards and walk them through what they did, why they did it, you know. Uh so scenarios.
2: Yeah, you're so given a scenario.
3: Situations. Correct. Um so that's there's that, you know, and then we do have our chemical agents. Um we do have firearms. So there are, you know, we do uh the the uh, cadets are trained in um the Glock, which was our choice weapon state has us use so the glock 22 uh 40 millimeter and then we also have the mini 14 you know uh rifle which our towers do use um in our prisons so um we are trained in firearms we are trained in chemical agents and then again a lot of it's going to be uh communication de-escalation and then we do have you know break it down later into report writing we have uh Batons, less lethal, you know, force options with our forty millimeters. So, um, kind of broken up into different phases or different stages of the academy. But uh, starting off with the academy, we we initially start and finish with communication de escalation, and that kind of runs all the way through. And then again, it is broken down into phases in different sections with a focus on um, firearms, you know, then a focus on chemical agents, focus on batons, focus on less lethals, you know, and then uh, arrest and control. So, again, broken down over those 13 weeks into, you know, separate phases. But no matter which which phase you are in, we're always going to uh, have the communication de-escalation and uh, the verbal um verbal scenarios and then you know the hands-on scenarios throughout from from week one to to week 13 just because again we do deal with a lot of those situations on an everyday basis uh these these cadets who, who graduate the academy they might not be uh, they might not be in an armed post every day some might you know we do have armed posts where you are armed uh every shift right um inside the institution venture weapon outside the institution, you stay armed and you go to your post. But if they're not, then every day they're going to be in a hand, they could potentially be in a hands-on situation with an inmate who, you know, who they have to talk to, who they have to communicate with. So that's kind of why that primarily focuses on communication, escalation and any type of hands-on issues, um, all throughout the academy, because that's kind of, I mean, you know, in, in the time that I've been in the time that I've been working at a prison, I have not had to, you know, use my service weapon, I did not have to use the mini. Uh, I did not have to use a less lethal option as far as the 40 millimeter, but I did have to use my baton. I did have to go hands on, you know, multiple times. So again, you know, we're, we're looking at, uh, I don't want to say bread and butter, but we're looking at something that's a little bit more, um, a little bit more likely to happen. So that's what yeah. they focus on in the academy. Now
0: yeah. Is that, is that academy? Is it a living academy?
3: It is a living academy. Uh, if you're within, I want to say it's 30 miles. You can um, live in the academy. Uh, you have the option to leave uh, Friday as soon as your your session is over, your class is over, and then return Monday before uh, class starts again. So, it is a living academy. Um, again, you know, food is covered, housing's covered. Uh, the only thing that you have to cover uh, as as a cadet is. You know, if you if you want to go anywhere after, or uh, you know, if you want to leave grounds after your class or um, your uniforms, you know, showing up with your uniform, showing up with everything that you need. But other than that, I mean, everything at the academy is free for thirteen weeks.
0: So, just out of curiosity, about I want to say about two three months ago, there was an article, and I had put it up on um, on Instagram. In there was an article from another state, and they had this living academy and there were instructors in there there were two instructors who got in trouble because the the cadets in this living academy they were they were mattress surfing or no on the they were in the water the water they put would put water on the floor and they would just go sliding down the hallway somebody somebody um
2: like a slip and slide yeah yeah
0: like a slip and slide <laughs> and somebody recorded it and it went up to the state and they suspended these two instructors. And I'm like, is this new? Is that cool now or what? You know, so,
3: you know, to my, to my knowledge, that is not something that, that is, uh, honestly, That sounds something, you know, like the cadets would do not necessarily, I don't know why the instructors were what they were involved in, but, uh, and more so it actually sounds like more military shenanigans and everything, but you know, that's <laughs> separate separate podcast too. But, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, the, the academy is, is very well structured. I do remember, uh, yeah, I had a military background going to the academy. So I remember, you know, showing up day one, exiting your vehicle. And then it's like a shark tank, you know, you got a bunch of instructors, you know, um, kind of grilling you guiding you, so to speak, you know, in a, uh, in a military fashion. Um, but it is, you know, uh, it, it is, military based as far as the structure and organization of our department. So, um, there are a lot of similarities within the military, but I do remember, you know, Academy day one, you know, getting out of my vehicle, getting guided to where I needed to go, you know, uh, in a military-esque fashion. So, you know, and and getting yelled at a little bit, you know, getting uh, barked at, which for me again, coming from a military background was right down my alley, you know, so I just kind of went, went with the flow, but, um, yeah, I don't really see that happening at, at a team at in California <laughs> Academy. That must, that must be you know, back east. It's got to be a, a, you know, a mid-east or southern thing, because I don't see that happening in California.
0: Well, I was surprised.
3: In- oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, not in some of the academies that I've heard about around here, so. Well,
0: That's I was surprised, much. because to me, academies should be hardcore. You know, they're getting you ready. It's a it's a paramilitary organization, so they should reflect that. But I was surprised at the amount of police officers, seasoned people, or just people in general. I, I don't know everybody that, that responded, but they were going, "What's wrong with this? You know, let them have a little fun in the academy. It's twenty four seven. It's it's five days a week. Let them have a little fun. Sometimes they don't have anywhere to go on the weekends, and and they need to you know de stress. And I'm thinking, uh, I'm not I'm not a fan, guys. But um, so in California. cdcr academy is still hardcore
3: yeah if you want to de-stress you go hit that track because they do have a nice track at the academy now (laughs) or uh you know you you hit the weights you hit the gym but yeah as far as as far as uh mattress skiing down a hallway i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and say no to that (laughs) one probably not a good idea that's that's how you get kicked out and then removed you know permanently from an academy so yeah i would say that's a different type of fun right there
0: and and uh for the people that are listening to to this uh to this podcast uh ken and minerva and brandon are not fans of letting your hair down you know academies <laughs> and uh, we had to go through a hardcore military style academy and you do too and that's I think we're
2: a, all old school
3: that way <laughs> pretty old school <laughs> I'm going to say you can't even let your hair down the first couple of years after you graduate. <laughs> don't get comfortable. You're not, you're not there yet. You know, you got, you haven't made it fully. So you got to stay on your eight game, you know, for, a, for a while. So. Uh,
0: moving on to training. If you, you know, I, I'm just saying if, if I went into the prisons from, from just coming, uh, 20, 21, 22 years old and I went straight into the prison, I'd be going, holy cow. I don't know if I want to do this. Cause these guys are, are, different than I'm used to. How do you train somebody to deal with convicts to, to deal with felon murderers and robbers and violent people? When I grew up, I grew up kind of in a, I didn't grow up where, where Minerva grew up. Minerva grew up in, in Rampart division. I mean, right in the center of it all, right in Rampart division, where it was hardcore LA and LAPD's Rampart was like, uh, that was one of the busiest, you know, Rampart was like the robbery capital of the city. (laughs) <laughs> and so that was a hardcore area, but I didn't grow up in that area. I grew up in, in little San Gabriel Valley, uh, Hacienda Heights, a city called Hacienda Heights. And it was kind of middle class and, you know, we didn't have a lot going on there. So when I, when I joined the LAPD, I went to Newton division to do my probation. And Newton division is hardcore South Central robberies, murders, burglaries, just shootings, all kinds of stuff. And so I had a little bit of a culture shock. And so Brandon, when it comes to the prison areas, the, do you find that the, I mean, the question for me is how do you train somebody to come off the street and deal with hardcore convicts?
3: It is, it is tricky to try to get, um, get these, get into that mindset and these officers into that mindset of, of now you're dealing with, with, hardened criminals right now you're dealing with uh convicted criminals uh murderers um rapists you know you have your white collar crimes you know uh, you're looking at you know uh crimes against people with, without having to do any physical harm so i mean we, we have a lot of, of variety you know within within the prisons and sometimes they're all housed not only in the same facility but in the same yard so trying to get someone into that mindset of, of, having to deal with, you know, with these types of, of people, you know, you have to constantly teach them constantly kind of run them through situations and scenarios, um, constantly trying to, you know, open up their mindset to understand that at any, you know, you really can't let your guard down, can't get comfortable, you know, um, anywhere you work. So it is a little bit tricky because, for, again, for someone who might not have a lot of communication or, or uh, experience in dealing with uh, people, right? I mean, even customer service experience is big because you're dealing with people, but some some don't come with any type of experience in dealing with, with people. So it is hard, you know, and that's why I think the state developed that um, field training officer or that, you know, training position within the prisons because it used to be, it used to be, uh, You know, you show up to, you show up at the prison day one, right? You show up eager, you show up excited, you show up ready to, to use your training and your experience. And then, uh, you know, it's a matter of, okay, here's your equipment. Here's your, you know, uh, here's, here's your stuff. Here's your post, uh, go get to work. Right. So not only was someone lost as far as how to do the job, but they were kind of lost, um, you know, within, in, in the entire experience, just because there wasn't a whole lot going on. So if, uh, if they were lucky, they would have someone who, you know, will show them the ropes, teach them, um, kind of give them a little, little bit of a rundown as far as what to do in their daily duties. Um, now more so it, it is, again, we do have, we do have these officers shadowing, you know, they get to shadow more experienced people, um, more experienced officers in on the job, you know, and then we have our, our sergeants who come along and ensure that the training is going effectively. But um it really is it really is, you know, stepping back and assessing the situation in almost every decision that you make because you don't know who you're dealing with and you don't know, you don't know what kind of day that person is that, that inmate is having. And you don't know what kind of, you know, uh mindset that inmate could be in. So it is a little bit tricky to try to uh teach it all within a short, you know, short time span because you don't know what's going to happen, you know, and you don't know, uh, what you might deal with on a daily basis. So, um, it can be a little bit overwhelming at times for, you know, for new officers coming in, but it's the nature of the beast. It's the nature of the job and you just got to jump in and, and, you know, be willing to do whatever it takes. So, um, can be a little bit tricky, but uh, I'll tell you what. When you're in that kind of situation and you're or you're in that kind of environment, uh, you learn fast. You have no other option but to learn fast. so mm.
0: and and how long is the probation?
3: So the probationary period is a, a year long. Oh. so they will will be going through um, the probationary period, checking in you know monthly with uh, with their supervisor with their sergeant, uh, just ensuring that the training is going well um, that they, you know, if they have any questions, they have any comments, uh, they have, they can ask, you know, the supervisor or the sergeant at that point, uh, the sergeant will also give feedback to, you know, um, how the staff is doing, um, what they've observed, you know, so they'll get, they'll get a good little bit of feedback, you know, how that's going. But, um, I know as a supervisor, I was, I was big, not just on, um, not just on training as far as on the job training, but training for our, uh, our annual training. So I constantly run, you know, new officers through situations, Hey, if this were to happen, you know, how would you respond? What would you do? What would your mindset be? What are things to look out for? Kind of just giving them a little one, what if scenarios that way, uh, in the event, something, uh, like that did happen, right? Something, um, if an occurrence happened, they'd be a little bit more knowledgeable of how to respond or, or at least their mind was already kind of touching on that concept or that idea of what could potentially happen. But, um, again, it's a, every, every prison is going to be different. Every situation is going to be different. Every scenario is going to be a little bit different, you know? So, um, it's really hard to, to kind of pin down one, you know, I mean, I know as a, as a, uh, yeah, as a sergeant, I've dealt with, multiple incidents in a day between, you know, uh, a hanging, stabbing, um, uh, involved, you know, um, force, force with an inmate, you know, um, assaults on staff. I and mean, I've dealt with multiple things in one day. So for me, you know, um, trying to teach my staff, you know, what could potentially happen, trying to teach my staff, you know, uh, how, how their mindset should be running, you know, not on, not necessarily on like uh, cruise control, but always aware, always, you know, always assessing, always looking at potential, you know, issues that could happen because in a situation like, uh, you know, in a prison setting, you, you might be one officer to 80 inmates, or you might have, you know, a partner with you. So two officers to 120 inmates, or, you know, 200 image. So you're definitely outnumbered, right? So, you you're constantly constantly thinking constantly watching constantly observing that way you stay ahead of what potentially could happen. So
0: So you've you've can't, got
2: That is exactly why I can't do that job.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> I I was uh I was curious about the psychology of cuz these these ex these convicts they're not I mean they're not slouches they they know what's going on and they know that if they wanted to they could take over the whole prison. What's the psychology of keeping, like you say that two two officers to a hundred inmates, how do you keep them, to, you know, not rioting and, and not doing stuff like
3: that? Well, so getting on to getting onto that subject, right? So yes, in the event, the inmates wanted to take over the prison, they probably could, right? I mean, they really could I mean, We're out definitely outnumbered. However, no inmates really willing to lose their life over such acts. And being that we do have uh, lethal force options in the event something like that were to happen, the lethal force options come out. And unfortunately, you know, there are times where lethal force options have to be utilized and inmates do get shot, you know, and pass away. So I think that in itself kind of keeps um, that keeps the. Uh, the inmates from rioting and taking over the prison, right? That that itself, for the most part, um, now. But
2: then you guys have those people who are in death row. I mean, they don't have anything to lose at that point, really.
3: That's, that's, yeah, absolutely. But they are held. Uh, they are on a higher uh, security level, so we're talking two to two to two to one escorts, so Two officers and one inmate. Um, sometimes even a three to one escort. Um, you know, they're they're held in more of a supermax facility where you know, there's, there's not only is there, there are concrete walls and there's bars and there's bars inside of those bars. So, you know, it's a little bit more secure where those who do not have anything to lose, it's, you know, they don't get the option to, to try to lose it. Right. But on the same, you know, on that same note, there are, um, there are prison politics, right. Uh, I don't know if you've heard that term, but there are prison politics where, um, and they may can't do what whatever they want to do and do it on their own accord. Right, things have to be kind of um, granted, if you say by whatever race they're with and the politics that guide those that specific race. So it is a little bit <laughs> it is a little bit tricky when you start talking about prison politics because one, I'm not a politician. Two, I don't really fully understand prison politics. Right, but. I do understand that certain, certain decisions can't be made without, or, uh, you know, without granted access by whoever that inmate's race is uh, by the, you know, by the, the, the person that is, you know, in charge. So it's not really uh something that can, um, it's not really something that an inmate can do where they can just, you know, make any decisions they want. They have, it has to be kind of allowed and accessed, you know, as it, as they progress. So, that that kind of, that in itself is a big thing to deal with it, too. If an inmate happens to uh, make a decision where it's not necessarily approved, uh, consequences can happen to that inmate. So I think they're more scared of those consequences than what could happen, you know, if, if we made a decision. So, if that makes sense. And, uh... And if we- and then if you have any if you have any questions that doesn't make sense, just go ahead and watch American Me, then you might understand a little bit oh, better. American <laughs> Me, man.
0: American <laughs> Me, scary. So you've so that leads me to my next question about prison gangs. Uh, you've got uh, you've got uh, the Aryan Brotherhood. You've got um, the Mexican Mafia. Uh, you've the I've, Mexican I can't, Mafia yeah the black, gorilla, black right? or the black gorilla family. Um, there's what, what's, how do you, wow, man, I can't even, I can't even form a question about prison gangs Cause those guys are no joke. So <laughs> how, what can you tell us about the prison gangs?
3: So, you know, um, as much as I can say without it being in a confidential setting, be, I, is going to be confidential. Um, What ends up happening is these street gangs, for those who might not have an understanding, the street gangs um, that, you know, are are within the streets of California. I'll I'll say California because that's what I'm, that's what I'm, you know, aware of. So within California, um, a lot of these street gangs, once back in the day, once these, you know, inmates have went to prison, they formed a larger gang, right? And they formed a prison gang. Some of the main uh, prison gangs you kind of mentioned, you know, the Aryan Aryan Brotherhood, Black Guerrilla Family, um, Mexican Mafia. You have, you know, um, Nuestra Familia It's kind of like the northern, you know, northern Hispanics. Um, um, It's these prison gangs kind of, I don't want to say rule, but they, they govern what happens to some of these inmates while they're in prison. So it is a little bit tricky, you know, getting into some of the gang politics. We do have gang investigators, um, and these gang investigators within, you know, within the prisons, they will um, facilitate and monitor, um, you know, what what type of movement happens inside the prison, what type of movement happens outside the prison, because some of these prisons, ga- prison gangs are so powerful enough they can make a decision and it can affect and overlap into the streets. Right of, of California, or or even beyond California. So, um, you know, some of these some of these gangs uh, do have uh, a lot of influence on what happens outside into the streets. So, trying to you know trying to teach a young correctional officer just this alone. You know, again, this is a type where we're, we're going to give you the basic understanding and knowledge of of the information that we have. However, if you want more of a detailed um learning experience, we're gonna have to get you on the job and you're gonna have to see it for yourself. And as you come across what you see, then we can go ahead and answer some of those questions if it's, if it's not you know a confidential um, you know confidential information. So it, it is a little bit tricky when you start getting into prison gangs, but um, prison gangs do have a lot of uh, a lot of influence on what decisions inmates, individual inmates make uh, within the prison walls. So,
0: and how,
3: uh, go ahead. No, I say, I know as a staff member, I don't get too, you know, involved in, in prison politics and and how, whatever, you know, whatever they decide to do. But as a staff member, I do understand, you know, that, that that's what, that's what govern these inmates, you know, more so than what I tell them to do. Right They're more afraid of what's gonna to happen to them if they don't listen to their politics than if they don't listen to me. I know that much, so
0: what's the relationship between uh, between the prison uh, inmates and the and the prison and the corrections officers? Is it kind of tenuous is it is there like an is there unwritten rules? Is there an understanding or everybody just do, just does their jobs?
3: Um, you know what it is it's a little bit of it's a little bit of all of the above it really is um, there are unwritten rules right There's unwritten rules when it comes to you know prison politics and for instance, you know in a in a male prison at least cause it, again, female prisons are completely different right the rules rules are gone in a female prison for them right? at least prison prison politics rules. but as a male prison. Um, yeah, you know there 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 are unwritten rules. Like um, they're not going to have one inmate come up to you by themselves. They're always going to come up in pairs. Mm. So they're always going to come up in twos. That way, it doesn't seem like one inmate is necessarily uh, snitching or giving information. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So um, and then there's there's working working relationships, right? I mean, look, like you you know the inmates are going to do what they're going to do. My staff, my officers are going to do what they're going to do, right? We, we're going to we're going to work. It is a working relationship, you know, and and it's not always tense. It's not always hostile, you know. Sometimes some of the inmates, you know, they're they're funny, you know, and you got to laugh, right? And some of the inmates, you know, they're they're really creative and they can they can build things and they can you know do things. It's like, well, okay, you can admire it, but at the same time, you have to understand that they're still in prison for the acts they committed, right? So it's one of those things where it's it's a lot of it is based on the, the respect level right and if you disrespect an inmate or if you disrespect a staff member right you're crossing the line same way you know if, if you're working patrol on the streets you're 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 going to have a respect level of mutual a mutual respect you know between a civilian and an officer a Civilian breaks embrace the law and they're disrespectful then okay you know the situation can be elevated but if the civilian breaks the law and and they're respectful about it. Okay, so we can handle this in a peaceful manner, and we're going to go about our way, right? So it's kind of the same concept when it comes to dealing with inmates. If, if they're respectful, and if they're, you know, if there's no no disrespect that's being shown, and you know, we're going to go ahead and resolve the situation. If an inmate's disrespectful, and they, you know, they want to go above and beyond and and do a little bit more than is needed for a situation like that, then, you know, my staff are going to handle it appropriately and we're going to do whatever we need to do in order to resolve the situation. So, I mean, again, it's, every situation is going to be different. You know, it's it's not hard to say that, you know, um, it's hard to say we can handle it, you know, by the ABC type, you know, um, answer, but for the most part, the inmates are going to be respectful. They're going to be, you know, you, you think of me, you think of criminals, yes, you know, that it is it is scary, yes. You know, it can be a little bit overwhelming, but for the most part, it is it is going to be respectful. Now, you are going to have situations where it's not, and now, again, now that's where that training kicks in, So I can't really say, you know, how we can handle certain situations. Mm-hmm. But um, it is, right. you know, it is a different, different, different world. It's a different beast. It really is. So.
0: And it is its own world. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead and maneuver.
2: Yeah. It is. No, I was going to say, you know, if he can talk about the differences between the female and male prisons. Yeah.
3: Definitely. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, you want, you want to get into a whole nother world, right? I mean, <laughs> um <laughs> working at a female prison and, and, you know, and that's some of the things that, you know, that I noticed, right. So working at a male prison, you know, I never got cussed out, you know, maybe, maybe got a little bit tested, right? That's just, that's natural, but never got cussed out. You know, my first week at a, at a my first week at a female prison, you know, uh, got cussed out. My first day as a as a sergeant at a female prison, I got cussed out and I'm, you know, and I didn't do anything, so I'm looking around like, who's somebody talking to I know she's not talking to me, right? But, um, you know, again, it's just, it is different. Um, naturally you think, you know, you you think that females are going to be cleaner, right? I mean, that's just for me, I know I did, but that's not the case at a female prison. Um, (laughs) prison politics, when it comes to females are out the door, they have no prison politics, right? There's nothing that, uh, there's nothing that really kind of guides them, so to speak. Um, program wise programs there's different right and for 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 females we had cosmetology programs where they can become you know learn cosmetology right and they can learn to do hair and nails and you know as part of the rehabilitative program that we had for the females and like well i know male prisons don't have a cosmetology program so you know again geared a little bit different but um Definitely, definitely a different beast. And I, I, I will say, I will say, and that's not to discourage anybody from ever working at a female prison. But I will never work at a female prison again if I don't have to.
0: <laughs> <laughs> don't let me discourage you.
3: <laughs> don't let me, yeah, don't let me discourage you. But I will never return to a female prison if I have
2: to. I'm not going. You know, I have a question because, um, sure, you know, when we think of prison gangs, we think of mostly male prisoners you know are are there prison gangs for the female convicts or the prisoners that are there mm,
0: or? i never thought of that
2: i've never heard of that
3: so there are female um they're female gangs uh however they fall there's i can't say there's like a primary female gang if that makes sense um they're going to fall under the um you know, like the South siders, the Hispanic gangs are going to fall under, um, the Crips of the bloods when it comes to, you know, uh, the African-American gangs, um, who I have had some, uh, female inmates who had Mexican mafia ties. So they, they, they did have associations and were associated with and received letters and, and had, you know, direct ties to the Mexican mafia, you know, so. Um, when it came to gangs and females, yes, you know, they did, they have affiliations, but there wasn't one set female gang, so to speak, if that makes any sense. But, um, yeah, gangs, yeah, are still. Sense. you know, you think of, you think of female inmates, you know, I mean, you, again, you have all types. You have some of the younger ones who fully tattooed on their faces and, you know, completely blasted. And then you have some younger ones who have no tattoos, you know, and they just made a bad decision. You have some older ones Mm -hmm. who've been around the block and, you know, they've lived the life of crime and, you know, uh, their, their face wears it and tells, tells their story, so to speak. Uh, and then you have some who look like your grandma. (laughs) They're just walking along in prison, you know, and you're, you're in your head, you're like, Oh, look, grandma what'd you do And you read their you read their file and you're like oh grandma like no way what the heck you know so so you know it's just it is interesting to to see what these inmates are for and, and personally for me uh, I think I I'd kind of mentioned this in my last you know the last podcast but I I, I don't like I don't like variables right? I don't like the unknown so so I would do my homework and my research on the inmates you know see what kind of disciplinary trouble they were in see what kind of uh, program path they were on, um, see what they did in the past, what the nature of their crime was. And, you know, that was, um, some of those are very hard to read when you start getting into the files of the inmates and, you know, what their crimes were. Um, I think out of all the, out of all the files that I reviewed, I think there was only about three that I couldn't finish. You know, I just had to stop, couldn't do it. So, um, but it is interesting, you know, to see why they're there, who they are, what they've been up to while they've been in prison. and But at, for me, I used to tell my staff, you know, you can use that to your advantage because now when you're dealing with this inmate, you know exactly how to talk to them. Mm. You know who they are. You know the backstory of them. So now you know how to communicate with them in a manner that they can understand. So I, I like to use that to, you know, to my advantage. But it is completely different working with females, you know. Um, I I have daughters at home, you know, and, and uh, I just... I, I don't know, again, female, these female inmates are, are different, you know, working with working with females and then coming home to females, you know, nothing, nothing but females at home. I'm like, oh man, I I gotta get away. I gotta get some <laughs> <ancient laughs> testosterone in my life. Like, man, but, um, yeah, it, it was definitely different. It was, it was, it was, I you, think you I was to be honest with you a lot. Go ahead.
2: Sorry. You keep mentioning the way that, um, you know, a big part of the training is how to talk to the inmates. So like, kind of like an old term is a verbal judo, right? Uh, that was a oh, yeah. term that was yeah. used a long time ago. I don't know what the new term is now, but basically to learn how to communicate with people and you know listen your listening skills and all that stuff. But um, I will tell you that I did a background on. Um, and a guy who was who lateraled from corrections to Glendale PD and then he and I later ended up working in patrol together and he really had a way to communicate with people he was a big white guy but he was such a teddy bear mm-hmm. <laughs> but when it came to dealing if somebody was on parole man he he knew how to ask all the right questions and i learned so much from him just you know being backing him up on his stops and stuff you guys, you know, that's one advantage I think like anybody who's worked in the correction system has over somebody who just went straight to patrol is that Because you guys deal with all the bad guys. Every there is a bad every person is a bad person in there. You guys really have a way of, you know, getting information and communicating with people out on the streets. So that was very interesting to watch and learn from.
0: You know, I...
1: Yeah.
3: Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, it's, it's so funny because... I, I used to tell that to the uh, the staff members who would transfer to a female prison from a male prison. <laughs> I used to tell them, hey, you know, you, you might not have had very many, very many inmates talk to you at a male prison, but better guarantee every female every female prisoner we have here is going to talk to you. They're going to ask you something. They're going to, you know, they're going to communicate. So if you're not completely used to communicating with people, you better get used to a fast at a female prison, right? So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> My wife was involved in a uh, prison prison ministry fellowship something like that and she was she was uh she was like uh writing with uh, one of the female prisoners and then she would actually go in, and visit at the prison i think i think there was one in, in Chino um where she would sit down and she would talk to the prisoner and stuff but what, what she had to get out of it because the prisoner was not sincere in what she was trying to do, she eventually just kind of was trying to get money and, and to, to get my wife to do favors and things like that. And um, she had to get out of it because they were, she was just so good at being manipulative uh, this prisoner. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that she had to get out of it. I don't know. I don't know if that's the, if they're really good, if, if convicts become really good at manipulating and uh, people, you know, to get them in, under in, in their good graces and do favors for is that how that works?
3: More times than not. I was going to, I was going to say, Oh my gosh, you're telling me that a, a, a female prisoner had, <laughs> had the wrong intent. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Honestly, tell your wife, tell your wife to keep her sincere and true heart. And don't let that, inmate, you know, sway her. Cause to be honest with you, more, it is unfortunate, more times than not, um, it is, that does happen, right? Um, and, and again, there are, there are inmates who acknowledge their mistake. There's inmates who acknowledge their mistakes. They know they, they messed up, they made the wrong decision, you know, and they're paying, they're paying, the, you know, the consequence for it. They're, you know, they're paying the the consequences for their actions. And so, and there are inmates who want to, who want to rehabilitate, you know, who want to get on the right path, who want to do better, who want to be there for their family. You know, there are, um, unfortunately, you know, it's not a perfect world. We've realized that, you know, we've watched what AB 109 and prop 47 and 57 have done to California mm-hmm. and to the communities. And it's not working for the better, you know, I mean, in, 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 a, in an ideal world, these programs are going to work, right? Because we're, we're putting time, money efforts and, into these inmates to allow them gain, you know, give them access to to rehabilitate. So they, when they parole into to the streets, when they, you know, there's that saying today's inmate, tomorrow's neighbor, right? So when the inmates get out of prison and, and they they go back to community and, and society, they can be functioning and and you know have a job lined up or you know have a skill set to be able to get a job, right? I mean, that that's an ideal. That that's ideally that's what we want to happen unfortunately that's not what's happening, you know, and we have inmates who don't want to change They, their, their criminality and, and the mindset behind it is what they know and who they are. So they're not going to change that, you know? And, and, um, I mean, I'm, again, I'm not a psychologist. I, I you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm going, I'm learning, I'm speaking from facts and, and from what I've seen. And, um, it's unfortunate. It really is. Um, that some inmates don't take advantage of that because there is a lot of money and time that are going into, getting them, you know, rehabilitated, so to speak. But, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but can't make them drink. So, you know, tell her not to feel bad. Oh. Um, that, is, that, is, that is, that is, that does happen a lot. These inmates are very manipulative in what they do.
2: You know, I've really tried staying hopeful that people can be rehabilitated, but I grew up in a gang area and then I became a cop and I saw really bad things, and I can't imagine. I just have a Wait, hard time uh, believing this. I mean, I really want to. I really, really want to believe that you know, because people can change. But man, it's really hard for me to really believe that. Just from you know my experience growing up, and then as a cop, you know, like um, was that Father Boyle? He has that uh, mm-hmm. that, Gregory Boyle. That, yeah, he has that uh program. Was it uh the Homeboy Ministries? Like, I, mean, mm-hmm. I really want to believe it. I just really have a hard time with it. <laughs> I just really.
3: Do. <laughs> I yeah, don't know. yeah. I I I get it. You know, I get it, and and it's hard. It, it is hard, especially you know, as as a, as a correction officer or working in a prison, right? You see it. I mean, you we see what the news doesn't, right? And we see what the media will never know. You know, and. And, you know, you see, you see, you know, pushes for rehabilitation. And again, on paper, it sounds great, right? Because, yes, I mean, these inmates are everywhere, right? I mean, you're looking, I, I've, I've as an officer, I used to, we used to go through all the mail and every piece of mail that entered and exited the prison, right? And so, you look at some of the addresses, and you're like, shoot, I know where that address is, you know? Like, yeah, an yeah. inmate could be in your neighborhood. It could be in your your, you know, your area, but as much as you want it to work, you know, again, every inmates going to be a little bit different, and unfortunately, some some don't want it to work, and they're there for the the, yeah. the you know the benefits of of whatever program that is. Which okay, great, but how about you use it now instead of just letting it go to waste. But no, I agree with you, Minerva. I mean, I, you know, ideally you want it to, but you work in the streets and seeing it, and coming from a place like that, you understand. That's not
2: how it's going to be. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I just is, really have difficult. a hard time with
0: it. <laughs> we get a lot of our information from the news and so the news tells us only we only hear you hear one of two things but the but one of them you don't hear very much about the the ones that get rehabilitated. We really don't know the number of people that do. You only hear about the prisoners that got that went back to prison because they were out on bail and they wouldn't have committed a crime and stuff like that. But I'm kind of curious. I don't know how many, what the stats are for people that actually go and get rehabilitated and go do good stuff too. But, um,
3: you're talking about, you're talking about like a like a retention rate or, or how many stay out of prison.
0: Yeah. The recid. what's that word? Recidivism. Recidivism. Yeah. I can't say that word, yeah. man. Um, <laughs> which, which if anybody doesn't know, cause I had to find out too, it means that how many people that get, that they go to prison, do their time, go go back out and caper, and end up getting back in prison again. Um, are there? Do you know what the stats are on that, or is that does it work?
3: So I, the stats, I want to say the stats as of maybe four years ago when I when I really paid attention to them. Um, it was about I think sixty percent, sixty percent working. You know, where 6 percent of the population stay out of prison,
1: mm-hmm.
3: but. See those stats are those stats are hard to hard to really count because I mean now with with counties and all the all the inmates who if they commit another offense they go to county you know and they get they fall under a new number it's kind of hard to, to the lines get blurred a little bit right um, so um, but I and as of as of last that I looked I want to say it was like at 60 percent so more than half I'll give them that much mm-hmm. more than half but um, mm-hmm you know if 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 what we believed I and mean, in in a in a ideal you know world if what we believed and what we wanted to work worked, I wouldn't have a job so mm. you know it's like well hey I mean, i'm not gonna I'm not gonna knock it, but you know i i do i what I can say is you know i teach teach these you know the officers that come in it's like look some of these images have been around longer than you've been alive right Mm -hmm. they've been in prison longer than you've Mm -hmm. been you've been here on earth so understand that if you know there's a respect level that that is earned you know when you talk to these inmates so like you know and some of these inmates you you see who parole you might see again so why burn any bridges on the way out right i mean you might see them again Mm -hmm. so it is you know it's an unfortunate thing but you know, I, I tell, tell myself, look, prisons are like shoes. Everybody needs them, right? So, I mean, you're never going to run out of the need for it. So, we're going to be here.
0: So, uh, so. I, got, I got a couple, I got to, I got to, I want to ask you something. Then, I want to ask you some, about some, some war stories because I watch, I watch the, I watch the movies and I get I, everything I learned about prisons, I, I learned from movies. And so I'm pretty, I'm a pretty much an expert as far as I'm an expert as far as that goes. But (laughs) there's a part, there's a part of the movies where they really don't, I've never seen them touch on it. Do you guys have like, um, there's who handles crimes in the prisons? Like I, I know I've seen movies and people get shanked. I know that word shanked because I've seen it in movies. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, people get, people get murdered and, and they get, all every crime that there is, probably except for maybe financial, but happens in the prisons, right? I mean, it's they're like little cities. Who handles crimes? Who handles
1: murders?
3: So, yes, uh, the, the correct word is you know, the correct word is stab, Um stabbed, shanked for, for for the prison term, <laughs> shanked for the prison term. But uh, you're, you're not wrong there. So, yeah. Uh, so what ends up happening? So, in, like as as a sergeant, right? So my officers, my officers are going to respond to uh, may being stabbed. From there, as a supervisor, as a sergeant, I'm, I'm you know, taking control of the situation. My lieutenant is going to be the incident commander, and we're going to work on this together, right? So we're going to problem solve. Um, within that problem solving and finding the culprit or the suspect for that, there is an um, investigation services unit, our ISU. Uh, so our, our investigation squad is going to handle, um, the criminal proceedings from there. They're going to be the ones that are dealing with, uh, the, uh, the DA, they're going to be the ones dealing with the courts. They're going to be the one, um, you know, processing that evidence and ensuring that, um, you know, one, the inmates do process during, during the the proceedings isn't, you know, um, uh, ensuring that, you know, everything that the DA could potentially need, um, to pick up the case and then, you know, to process that inmate all the way through, you know, and, and the officers that were responding, you know, they could be called to court myself as a Sergeant, you know, I've been called to court, you know, for, for different, um, different hearings for different inmates. Um, you know, again, where under rights. are going to be read again. You know, the the inmates can be placed into administrative segregation ad, say, or, you know, be locked up, so to speak into, Our uh, shoe, our segregated housing unit, and um, basically, you know, the inmates call the shoe jail. You know, so they're like, "Oh, I'm going to jail." Well, you're already in prison, (laughs) but yeah, you're going you're going to jail. So, you know what I mean? So, so it's it's the same. It it is our uh, it is our investigative squad, though, that handles the back section immediately and initially. It's going to be the officers on the line or wherever that that inmate was housed, and then it's going to be sergeants like myself, lieutenants, you know, handling handling the situation getting that inmate to the new housing assignment you know once we find the suspect and then the our investigations unit is going to be handling everything after that ensuring that that inmate is uh, criminally charged you know and from there so we actually do have quite a bit we, we do work alongside obviously the DA, uh, in a lot of situations whether it's um, whether it's you know um, assaults and beatings you know assaults on inmates or uh staff, right? Thoughts on staff, you know, those, those, we've got a lot of those that um, obviously make it to court. Um, drug paraphernalia, you know, a lot of drug investigations. And, you know, if you think how, how can drugs enter a secure facility? Well, there's a lot of ways drugs can enter a secure facility, you know, and that in itself is, you know, that's a movie in itself just because these inmates have nothing but time, kind of like you said earlier, you know, can, they're very manipulative. They have nothing but time so they can, you know figure out ways how to get drugs into prisons whether it's discreetly through the mail or internally through visitors or you know um i've seen drones try to drop things off you know so (laughs) oh yeah they
0: they they try and send drones over the over the prisons and drop them in there Mm -hmm. yeah definitely like that sounds like something stupid I don't know that that, how that would work, but, uh, so now let me get this right. If there is a, uh, like a murder in the prison, you guys have investigators that communicate with the outside DAs and courts.
3: Correct. We and, have an internal investigations that deals with that when it comes to the image.
0: And are they like in in the regular police departments? They're like homicide detectives. Do you guys handle like if if um, if uh, there's a battery or I mean, do they even report these things? Um, uh, to to so
3: yes. Yeah. So, to answer your question, yes, yeah. uh, every every incident is going to get re- reported, whether the DA wants to pick it up or not. You know, um, that's up to the district attorney. Um, when it comes to assault on staff, most of those will get, you know, not most, uh, 99% of them will get picked up as long as, you know, all the paperwork's correcting, right? So, um, yes, they are going to be referred to the DA, um, and, you know, the inmates will get anywhere from two to, you know, two to the max sentence uh, years added to their time, so... Like I've, I've, I've been assaulted, right. So I've been assaulted in prison. Uh had an inmate attack me. Um, you know, they tried, I'll just say I won, keep it at that. Right. Uh, um, <laughs> and the MA the inmate got an extra two years onto their, you know, two years onto their sentence and, uh, you know, it's like, it's all, it's all on the peace officer. Right. So they got an extra two years to their sentence. So- um, for me, for me, you know, it's not personal, it's business, you know, I, I, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna do business, I don't, I seen that inmate afterwards, and I, you know, there's no hard feelings, you know, I mean, I think I told him, hey, your face looks good, you know, you're recovering, so, uh, you know, and that inmate apologized, that inmate apologized to me, saying, you know, sorry, you know, it's not personal, like, it's alright, it's not personal, it's just business, but I was prepared, right, I mean, the inmate hit me, I hit the inmate, the inmate went to the floor, so. You know, it was one of those things where it just happened so fast. But again, when you train, you train for those situations, you're prepared better. Right. So, um, but yeah, you know, the MA got an extra two years to their, to their sentence for it.
0: Well, they must feel like it's worth it because I mean, it's not, it's, it's, it's not like you're in the, you know, when you're in the street doing police work and someone assaults you, there's always someone going to question, oh, you know, did, did that really happen and stuff? But in the prisons, I imagine there's cameras and there's no getting out of it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, we, we do have cameras. Um, most of the institutions, not not most, half of the institutions now have body cameras. So they yes. are, um, you know, there are, you know, body worn cameras, uh, on the officers, uh, cameras around the prisons, you know, monitoring situations. So, um, the fact or the, you know, the question, if it happened, isn't really there anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. especially in my, in my situation, there was inmates and staff, you know, in the area. So, yeah, it was it definitely happened. You know, we, we had enough witnesses on both sides. So, and and uh, but oh, yes, Minerva, go.
2: Well, I was gonna say, like, you know, did the inmates, you know, tell on each other in the situation like that? Or, you know, because you know, I didn't patrol, it's like, oh, it's sometimes hard to find witnesses, right? The <laughs> like shooting occurs, but people know it's like, oh, I didn't hear or see anything. You know, so I'm assuming, yeah. you know, or I'm thinking, it's the same in prison. Like, well, I didn't hear or see anything. <laughs> Can you know what I'm talking about?
0: Well, I right? think that I think the prisoners a lot of times they call one eight hundred Crime Stoppers, and then they. Rep- <laughs> I just you know you're right though. I don't see anybody. I don't see anybody in the prison snitching off anybody. That's like the, that's like the all stars of not snitching crimes because police officers in the field, it's, it's terrible. You go, did you see anything? I, I didn't see nothing. Okay. Thank you. But in prison that all those people are now in
3: one place. Yeah. So, so I got a few different things for that, right? So number one, it's all about the questions you ask and I'm not going to ask an inmate if they've seen something in front of 10 other inmates, right? Cause if I ask them that question, what do you think the answer is going to be? Mm-hmm. No. Right. So yeah. I'm going to, I want to find a way to get that inmate alone and ask them, Hey, what happened? Tell me what happened. Where were you at? Why did that happen? You know, and you ask the right questions and it, and it is a cat and mouse game, right? It's, when you're dealing with certain, certain, uh, situations, it's a checkers game, right? It's just you move, I move, you move, I move. When dealing with situations like that, investigations, because I was, I was an investigator prior to becoming a background investigator at the prison. So, uh, you ask the right questions, right? You, you come at the right angles. you, you present the right evidence, you present the right, you know, the correct, uh, you know, quid pro quo is in order to gain some answers. Right. And, and it happens, it happens more often than not. And as much as you think, you know, all oh, these inmates, they're not snitches. They're not going to tell each other, telling each other, these inmates telling each other all the time, right? What? It's, just, it's just a matter of, it's <laughs> a matter of getting, getting the right situation and circumstance in order to gain the answer and wow. these inmates will sing like canaries and they will tell on each other <laughs> but like but again but if but if i were to ask these inmates in front of other inmates the answer is always and forever going to be no mm-hmm. you know so it's yeah, all a matter of, of playing chess so it's all, it's all finesse when it comes to investigation so, you know so yeah you'd be surprised how many telling each other
0: we're we're all background investigators in here, and a lot of times I've I've dealt with people that were uh, that came to apply for the police department, and they had committed crimes. And I used my super my super police skills. Um, and so, do you, uh, Minerva and, and and Brandon? Do you like to use your super police skills in talking with candidates? Sometimes where you know, uh, you know, it's like you know you know they're not telling. They're like street savvy. Some some candidates are street savvy. Do you ever have that, like, use your skills for that?
2: Yes, but I'm also street savvy because of where I grew up. Oh, that's right. <laughs> they don't think you that. Rampart. <laughs> See, people, I look, people think, you know, the way I look, maybe because I'm a female, I'm short, I'm only like 5'2". You know, they underestimate, you know, and, um, but you grew up in the hood. You know how to talk to people. You know when people are BSing you. And then, you know, you go and work patrol and they're like, you know, I mean, I had Hispanic gangsters being like, hey, uh, you got to take care of our people. And I'm like, our people? Who are you? (laughs) Like, I am not related to you. I don't care about you. I don't know you. (laughs) You know, so, you know, I always, you know, for me, just to answer your question, I always just sat back and listened and I took my notes. And at some point, you know, when people lie, they just can't keep things straight. You know, or mm-hmm. then trying to tell you the half truth, and then it's like, okay, this, these dots do not connect. You know, tell you know, let's tell me more about this, and then you ask them the same, the, you ask them for the same information in a different way, and now you get a different answer, right? Mm-hmm. And they just kind of oh, go yeah. themselves <laughs> in deeper and deeper hole. That's true. Whole, That's
3: you know? true. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Brand- it's all, yeah. It's all it's all in how you ask the question, and to, to answer your question, yes. However, I will not air out my. <laughs> my, you know, my strategies and how I do, but yes, yes. I, I've, I've caught, you know, it's subtle, subtle things sometimes where you have, as an investigator have to pay attention to because if you don't, you miss it, you know? And so, um, but yes, to answer your question. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I've had hmm. to.
0: Hey, Brandon, did you, did you notice you could tell, you could tell that, uh, uh, Minerva is an inner city girl because she didn't, she didn't say I grew up in the hood. She goes, I grew up in the hood. I grew up in the
3: hood. The way she said it. The way she said it, you know where she's
0: <laughs> from. Oh, man.
2: Can't take the hood out the girl. No.
3: <laughs> no, there it is right there.
0: I'm curious, Brandon, there have been, you've been in some situations, uh, and I I think our, our audience would probably, as lo- as much as you can say, uh, if you have any war stories for us, where, what are some of the scariest situations you've ever been in I, I, me personally, if I was to guess, I would say if you had to square off with somebody in, in prison, you know, that's
3: but actually not that bad, uh, that, <laughs> that's not that bad for me, <laughs> for me, you know, like the thought of fighting isn't, that's not scary, you know, for me,
1: mm-hmm.
3: um, I used to tell inmates, you know, I can fight and I can write so we can handle it two, two different ways. What would you like to do? Right. I mean. I, if we can handle this mutually and, and and you know come to an agreement without having to get physical, that's great. You know we'll go about our day. But if you don't, like I just let them know I can fight and I can write. So just giving you a forewarning. Mm-hmm. But um, you know honestly, it, it was for me maybe because I was raised a little different. The thought of fighting wasn't really scary. You know didn't didn't bother me. Um, it was more so uh, staff getting injured that was always scary to me because you know everyone has a family. Someone to go home to. I know my skill set. I know where I'm at, and I'm very positive in my skill set and the training that I've acquired. But um, <laughs> excuse me, when it comes to uh, dealing with with war stories and situations, you know, I've been in some uh, some scary situations. One one in particular that automatically comes to mind is um, we had a fire in our uh, in that a shoe um, again, which is a max custody. Yeah, I had two inmates who lit a cell on fire. Um, the inmates went unconscious, uh, couldn't, you know, wouldn't respond. They, they jammed the door shut. So, uh, we couldn't get, we couldn't get the, the door open to get the inmates out, you know? So we had to, and, and again, if you, if you're thinking of prison, you're looking at, you know, blocked cinder, uh, walls with rolling steel doors. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of, you know, that's the kind of facility this was where there's no bars on it. It's just a solid door with the window to see in. So, um, was a little bit scary just because you know when the fire once the fire was relinquished and put out there was so much smoke that it accumulated that it it took up the entire building you with the doors open and, and fans you know circulating where you know you couldn't see five feet in front of you so you want to talk about a bad situation mm-hmm. that's a bad situation you know a lot of staff mm-hmm. a lot of moving parts a lot of inmates who we need to get out of the building in order to gain, you know, get to safety to, you know, because it's all about a preservation of life. So in that situation, you know, you got to get the inmates out and you got to, you know, ensure the inmates are out, make sure the staff are safe, make sure no inmates are left behind to make sure that, you know, in, in the end, you know, there's no inmates that can escape, you know, or, you know, it's not a diver. So there's a lot of moving parts in this. And, um, we were able to, to, you know, get the cell door open for these two particular inmates, you know, pull them out, um, Um, restrain them and then you know start um, doing life-saving measures on them and the inmates did end up living you know they both were actually charged with with arson you know so they got added four years I believe to their sentence you know on top of what they were already uh, serving for their original crime but in that situation you know I mean you want to talk about uh, uh, all hell breaks loose kind of situation that was it you know I remember coughing you know I think, you know, thinking like, I decided to be a firefighter. Like, what am I doing? Right. And, <laughs> and you know, um, I, I was the one in that situation who happened to put the, the fire out, you know, so I put the fire out, um, uh, had to go in and, and, you know, um, drag these inmates out of the cell, pull these inmates out of the cell. Cause you can't pick them up. You know, you're talking about, you know, uh, limp weight, you know, so we're dragging these inmates out, restraining them, uh, starting life, life saving measures on them with CPR and, and, you know, that was, that was a bad day. Um, it it was a good day because, you know, everyone walked out and nobody was too badly injured, but it was a bad day too for me because, uh, there were two staff members who were injured to the point where I don't know if one of them ever really returned to work. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a bad day for me because I don't want to see that happening. Right. I mean, everyone has mouths to feed who work there and it's like, you don't want to see anybody, you know, have to leave the job sooner than they wanted to or plan to. So, you know, that was one that, that will always forever stand out in my head. Um, uh, you know, had more been in situations where, you know, inmates have had weapons and they're trying to attack, you know, trying to, trying to attack you, trying to attack your partner. So again, those are bad situations because everybody wants to go home and you don't want any, you know, you don't want any injuries at the end of the day. So. Um, you know, there's like I guess I told you, know, I said previously, I I was attacked. You know, I have been attacked. Um, you know, and and luckily, luckily for the most part, it was just me and that inmate. You know, and and that that's a good day because again, I I, I understand my skill set, so I'll take those odds a hundred percent of the time. But um unfortunately, again, there was other staff who were involved and were injured if they responded and. The MA did not go after the MA hit the floor. They didn't go willingly, you know. So still, still attempting to restrain the MA and uh, gain compliance. It was, you know, there were staff that were injured in that. So, um, again, you know, bad situations in my head because I don't want anybody to get injured, you know. But there, uh, I mean, there's, there's, I think those, those three that occurred were probably in the last five years before I left for I left to become a background investigator, mm-hmm. so it was pretty active, you know. Between those, um, is,
0: is there a lot of violence in prisons? Yes.
3: Yeah. <laughs> in, in a short answer, yes, uh, yes. Um, you got to figure, you know, on on the streets, you are going to see, you are going to see a lot of things. You know, you are going to you are going to encounter a lot of things. I mean, um, in prison we're, we're dealing with, with all the things that you've already countered as a street cop, right? You sent them to us. Now we're dealing with them. So, you know, it's like every, every bad thing you wanted off the street, we now house, right? Mm-hmm. They're now housed in state prison. So, and, and again, that's not all of them, you know, I mean, some of them are for white collar crimes, or, you know, different things, but, but yes, there is a lot of violence in prison. Um, there, there's a lot of things, depending at the prison you're at, that you can see every day. And, uh, you know, there are some prisons that aren't as, uh, they're not as violent. There's some prisons that don't deal with, um, you know, don't deal with situations like other prisons do. You know, I mean, I remember, uh, when I became a, you know, when I started, when I became a sergeant at the female prison, um, was talking to other sergeants who transferred in, you know, to the female prison. And you know they really didn't have to write any reports. They didn't have to, you know, they didn't have to do too much coming from the prison that they came from. So my question to them is, well, why are you coming here? Mm. You know, like we're nonstop here. Like, what are you talking about? So it really just all depends on um, you know the prison that they're that you know they work at. But yeah, they are violent. Um, I can laugh about it because it's a sense of humor. But yeah, there's a lot of violence mm. in the in the prisons. So,
2: You know, Ken, that reminds me of like, you know, they usually say that, you know, some of the females put up the bigger fights with officers out on the street, you know, because I don't know, but I've heard guys say that, that some females are harder. I don't know, maybe because, you know, it's a male to female thing. You know, and the, you know, males are usually taught, you know, you don't hurt females and stuff, but if they're fighting you, you got to do what you got to do. Right.
0: Well, I've, I've gotten into so, fights with females and the difference between females and, and, and males is males usually try and use their fists, things like that. Females will scratch you, they'll scratch you, get. and they'll grab you and they'll grab your hair. And it's like, man, I mean, it's a different type of fighting. I, I've, uh, yeah. And they grab your uniform too. I, I had a female that was, I was on, on a set of stairs with a female. My partner was above and I was below and had, had she grabbed my shirt and I was trying to, trying to get away. Cause the shirts are expensive. I mean, if you break, oh, yeah. so I didn't want, I was more concerned about my shirt than about getting hurt, but had she let go and we had been tussling, I would have gone down the stairs cause that's, I was on a stairwell. So I was really concerned about my shirt. But, um, fortunately it turned out okay. (laughs) But yeah, females, man, they'll bite you and scratch you.
2: Yes.
3: Yes. Oh yeah. Dirty. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen just as much violence at a female prison that I have in a male prison. And, and it may not have been as bad as as far as the injuries, you know, at a female prison, but I've definitely seen just as much, you know, um, if, if you, if you equate, the amount that I've seen at a female prison to the amount of injury at a male prison. It's about the same. We'll say that much. Hmm.
2: How many, Uh, what, what percentage of uh, correction officers are females? Like approximately what percentage are females? Good question.
3: Yeah, I think yeah, that is a great question. I think right now uh, we're, we're at about a 30%. So I think it's a 70, 30 ratio. Um, When it comes to female, when it comes to female, um, female prisons, the ratio to hire, uh, is a, it has, it's a 50, 50 ratio. So it's one to one, uh working at a, working at a female prison. So, but as of right now, statewide, I want to say we're about 30, 35% somewhere on there.
0: And, uh, uh, f- the corrections makes no qualms about putting females in, in male prisons, right?
3: Absolutely not. None at all. Now when it comes to searching though. Know, um, uh, female female officers will no longer search uh, male inmates. Used to used to not have an issue with that, but um, more so now with with the regulations that are changing, females are not going to search male inmates, and male uh, officers do not search female inmates. Mm. So we can ask them, you know, take mm. or you know, empty out your pockets, you know, put your pockets inside out, uh, you know. We we can ask, you know, we can search the contents of of what they're holding, but when it comes to uh, Pat-down searches and physical searches, uh, opposite, opposite genders will not um, search.
0: Our, so. I, I remember back in the old days, Minerva, you may remember this uh, Sybil Brand Institute in Los Angeles, East Los Angeles. That was the female jail. And whenever we got a, a female prisoner that we had to book, we would take them to Sybil Brand. And the, the deputies there, the female deputies, they, they took no crap off of anybody they were hard hard hardcore and there was a i think there was an understanding between the female uh prisoners and the female deputies i think that they knew that uh if they messed around with the female deputy they were there was going to be some reckoning on that and the males (laughs) you know if a a male clocks uh, if a male police officer corrections officer or or deputy clocks uh, uh a female prisoner. People get all upset, but I think if a female deputy clocks a female prisoner, that's well, okay. I guess
2: people see it more fair.
0: Right? <laughs> I don't know, man. And then yeah. I think you know, Brandon. Uh, uh, Minerva brings up a very good.
2: But what if she's? A, but what if she's an MMA fighter or something?
0: Oh, then you know
2: that's not a, That you know now you got females it's... doing MMA and stuff. You know, <laughs> like, you never know.
3: Then you're going to need everybody at that point. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I think uh, Minerva brings up a very good point about. Do do you worked at a female prison when you were working there? If a female prisoner got kind of out of hand and she got violent, did you like, did you like hesitate, like just knocking her out? I mean, I don't know if that's a proper term. <laughs> well, okay, oh,
3: well, yeah, that is you an see, improper term. Using
1: use um, of force.
3: Using <laughs> oh, use yeah. of force. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. sorry. We're, we're gonna go with reasonable force. There you yeah. go. Um, there you go. <laughs> no, but, uh, but to answer your question, no. Um, the first time I had to uh, hit an inmate with my baton, um, there was a slight hesitation. There was, uh, and then within you know two fractions of a millisecond, that hesitation kind of well you know left left the brain, and it's like okay, well no you know it's been required it's required amount of you before, so let's go you know. And she was a bigger inmate. She I know she weighed more than I did, so I mean she was bigger she bigger than me. But um, yeah, it, it was a slight hesitation, and I and I. I, as a youth force instructor, I've actually talked to staff about that, you know, um, working at a funeral prison, you might, you might hesitate. You were, you were raised not to hit women, right? You were, mm-hmm. you know, you don't hit women, but if this woman is attacking you, this female inmate is attacking you, are you going home to your family? or Are you going to let them beat you up? You know? So it was one of those where you have to make that rational decision right away. You know I mean? Your, your decision-making process, or your OODA is functioning at a high level. So you have to figure out whether you're going to make this decision or not. And is it appropriate and required amount of use force to use? And if so, then use it, right? I mean, you have have to, you know, stop the threat. So, Mm -hmm. um, but in that situation, uh, you know, again, I did have a slight hesitation and then got over it real fast. And no, after that, never hesitated again, because, you know, a lot of the times we're doing what we need to do to preserve, preserve life so we're gonna we're gonna take care of business yeah just for female we're we're gonna take care of business so
0: Uh, just for clarification for legal purposes
3: (laughs) when you're (laughs) in this when
0: you're in the street you 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 have fights and you and you, you know you Take care of business, but when you are a professional police officer, corrections officer, you can use the amount of force necessary to overcome the force that's being used against you. But once you reach that threshold where the where the force against you is is become neutralized, you stop using force. That's my that's my professional. Take on that. <clears throat> Just saying that is a that is a great professional take on that. Yeah. thank you, thank that you
3: a, to the actor. <laughs>
0: <laughs> And I think in, in closing this, I think I, I do have a question about um, about rehabilitation. How how do prison? How does that work, rehabilitation? Uh, because that was something that was added on. It used to be CD uh, uh, correct, Department of Corrections, CDC, D- right? Yeah, CDC, California. Wait. Yeah, Department of, Department, Corrections. Department of Corrections, and then they added on rehabilitation after. So there was a reason for that. How do how do prisoners? What's the game plan on on getting people rehabilitated from a life of crime, let's say, to becoming productive citizens?
3: So the ideology of rehabilitation, right, is in order to um, in order to you know transfer that inmate from uh, from prison. From incarceration, successfully into uh, reintegrate them into society. So rehabilitate, you know, the rehabilitation was added on so that we can rehabilitate these inmates to to make them better functioning citizens once they once they get out of prison. So you know, there's a lot that goes into um, the rehabilitation process. I mean, they, it's a, that process starts the moment they enter the prison. You know, looking at their um, whether they've been educated, you know, and if not. Education is mandatory for the inmates. You know, you got to go get your GED or equivalent, you know, equivalent. Um, prisons, each prison has uh, a college program where these inmates can get college, you know, they can come out with their bachelor's or master's, you know, depending on how long they do and what type of, you know, education they want. Um, there's also work programs, you know, they can, they can gain certifications in, um, welding in, you know, building and trade in uh becoming, you know, engineers to uh you know, learning a skill set like barbering, you know, or cosmetology for uh the female offenders. And you know, so there is a lot that can goes go into it where they, they can have a certificate of completion by the time they even leave prison where now they have a you know a vocational skill set to bring to society. Um there's also drug and alcohol treatment programs you know, where, where they can gain access, um, to those, to you know, to overcome any addictions they had or, um, substance abuse problems they've had. Um, and then there's a lot of mental health available to understand why they do what they do, right. Or why they did what they did or why they are the way they are. So, um, there, there's a lot of money that's been um incorporated into the prison for the rehabilitation process, you know, for educational purposes, for um, you know, vocational purposes and uh there there's there's a lot that we do offer, you know, for the inmates they wanted to take advantage of it. You know, I mean I know you mentioned, you know, the Chino Women's Prison that, you know, your wife might have gone to. Um I know they had, you know, at Chino Women's they had again they had the uh, they had um building and trade where you know, then you may can come out with, with a certificate to pretty much not, not be an engineer, but to oversee site, um, construction wow. design. That's they pretty also good. Had, um, yeah. They had, um, hair and nails, you know, they had cosmetology or they were a licensed expedition or, um, you know, um, uh, I mean, sorry, it slipped my mind, but they could do hair, right? So, I mean, you know, there's a there's a lot that that can go into, you know, the the rehabilitative process when it comes to a skill set mm-hmm. for these inmates. Um, Chino Men's Prison, right next door to Chino Women's, you know, they have an underwater welding program where these inmates can, you know, be certified as an underwater welder. You know, I mean. Underwater welders, from my understanding, make over $100,000 a year. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's a lot of options yeah. that these inmates have, and, and they go into rehabilitating and setting these inmates up for success because, as I stated earlier, you know, today's inmates would be tomorrow's neighbor, you know, and you want your neighbor to be better off or worse off, you know. So mm-hmm. that was kind of the mindset to, to getting the inmates rehabilitated, and then hopefully in all that process, the recidivism rate would have dropped. And you know, would be less where these inmates aren't coming back and we're not re seeing these inmates again. But uh, as I stated earlier, you know, you lead a horse to water, you gotta make them drink. So, really, all depends mm-hmm. on the inmate and what they want to do with their lives.
0: That's so. pretty great, though. I mean, I didn't know that the, those opportunities, I knew that you get uh, college degrees, but I didn't know all the other opportunity somebody could come out of prison and truly if they wanted to change their life around they could they would have it's not like they languished in prison for x amount of years and they didn't have anything to fall back on they can actually get a trade or or something like that that's that's valuable uh to
3: them Correct, and and then even even when they when they get released from prison right they're going to check in with their parole officer and their parole officer can monitor you know that inmate rehabilitative process right yes, the parole officer is going to, you know, they're going to, um, you know, they're going to have to check in with their parole officer make sure they're not on drugs. So they're going to have to do, you know, random urinalysis. They're going to have to, you know, give their parole officer, you know, right to the house to search. And, but at the same time, you know, CMA does need something. I know parole is ramped up their, their process where, Hey, you need to, you know, you need to bust, you need a ride to work. Okay, well, here's a bus pass. You know, and they'll provide them with the bus pass to mm-hmm. to get to and from. So that way, there's no excuse. I Museums mean, have no excuse where they can't be successfully reintegrated. That's cool. So, and yeah. uh, so my, it is a big, it's a long, big process. You know,
0: in in closing, I know this is not, uh, you know, what your assignment is, but I'd like to, I, I think that uh, a lot of uh, candidates who want to be police officers, they don't, um, uh, they don't always consider corrections and I think that that's a really good avenue uh, if you want to get into into law enforcement um, to think about the corrections occupation so what uh, what are what are you offering in in the California Department of Corrections as far as recruitment and, and incentives and for people to look into that as a, as a career
3: well you know I mean, to start off, right? I mean, um, correction officer positions, you know, it, it is, it is a law enforcement position. Um, dealing with inmates, you are a sworn peace officer. So, you know, that, that in itself, if, if you're looking to become a correction officer, just understand that it is a sworn position. So you have to meet the qualifications, right? So, you know, get that off the bat, you know, you're going to have to come across my desk as a background investigator. So you got to, you gotta, you know, meet the, meet the requirements. But when it comes to everybody, you know, when it comes to positions or jobs, everybody likes numbers, right? So right now our correctional officers top out at eighty two hundred a month, you know, salary. So that's where, that's where we're at as far as pay-wise. That's not including overtime. You know, nobody walks away from, from a job, at least in the prisons without doing any overtime Mm. (laughs) because we do have a lot of overtime available. So, you know, we do have new, we have new officers, uh, the Academy who make over $100,000 a year, you know, um, we offer, you know, uh, 401 plans, 457 medical, you know, uh, and that's one thing I will give to state. we do have a great medical plan, but medical dental vision, we have sick and sick and uh, vacation leave, you know, that we can accrue paid holidays, depending on, you know, what your days off are, but there are paid holidays. Um, you know, there's bilingual pay, so, if you speak a uh, secondary language, and you can qualify and pass the test, you are eligible for bilingual pay. If you if you become an interpreter, um, education incentive, an extra you know an extra uh, stipend or paycheck a month if you have an associate's degree, and as you elevate your your um, education, you know you can get paid for that. And then, um, you know, for, for military applicants, we have the Post Nine Eleven GI Bill, so they can actually get paid while they're in the academy and while they're on their apprenticeship, they can utilize that post nine eleven and get paid extra because there, you know, there are, um, college units and credits that can be transferable upon completing the academy. So, you know, make, uh, military vets can get paid more for that as well. And then right now I want to say our retirement, I believe is, is uh, two and a half to 57. So the retirement age is 57 right now for uh correction officers. So they can retire, um, you know, at fifty-seven, with I don't know, I want to say, it's like a eighty-five percent, eighty-four percent of their paycheck. So, you know, there's there's benefits to that. You know, having a good good job that pays well in retirement. So, you know, you're looking at the numbers. Uh, you know, everyone everyone likes numbers, so those are <laughs> those are ours. But um, it is a good job, Diana. good pay, good benefits, <laughs> and you know, can't can't beat it for what we do. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's
0: cool. That's awesome. uh, Minerva, do you yeah,
2: have is any... Under CalPERS, right?
0: CalPers.
3: Correct. We are We are CalPERS. CalPers? Yeah. yeah, Yeah, correct. We are CalPERS.
2: No I, no, I don't have any additional questions. I mean, I, this has been very interesting to me because just like you can, <laughs> every, everything I know, I, I know from the movies, I'm an expert through the movies. You know, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, I it's just interesting to me because... You know, it is its own little world, you know, not mm-hmm. one I want to be in. <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, but it's pretty interesting to, you know, hear, you know, the things that happen in there. And I'm sure there's way more than we, you know, that Brandon, you know, couldn't share with us probably. But, you know, I, I've always been interested in it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've i driven through the by, not through, but by the men's Chino Hill or Chino Prison. Mm-hmm. And it's always like this mystery, like what's going on in there, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah.
0: Man, I I was uh, I was uh, thinking about this this interview, and I knew there was stuff that you couldn't talk about, but there are. I mean, it just sounds so intriguing the the whole uh, the whole corrections officer thing, you know. And I've never had a corrections officer come up and go, "Hey, I'm a corrections officer." They're like real secret secretive. People who just like they're stealthy and all that kind of stuff. So I think I think it's something that people should, in fact, uh, consider being a corrections officer. There's a, and you can go all over the state uh, to some really amazing places like Calipatria uh, and uh, <clears throat> you know places like that. But, uh, uh, Brandon, I've uh, one last question because this, this, I was just thinking about this question and I think this is a good question to close on Minerva and I will watch a movie about cops and go, Oh my gosh, that's a stupid thing. I can't watch this. This is so stupid. The way they portray cops. Is it the same with prison guard movies? Do you look at it and go, that's the, Oh, I can't, this is stupid.
3: Yeah, it is. It is the um. same. <laughs> It is depending on the movie. Some of them are actually extremely close. Some of them are close. Some you can tell. Some did their research, and then some are far fetched. You know, some some just aren't. They're not. It's not it. So, yeah, I I do agree with you. You know, it goes it goes both ways <laughs> depending on the movie. And, and for those that for those that did their homework prior to kudos kudos to them. You know, yeah. So. Good,
0: good. Well, thank you again for being on here and uh, really appreciate it. This is a good interview and I think the uh, the candidates are good and it'll be an opener for the candidates. Minerva?
2: Yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, um, like you, I never thought about correction. As a matter of fact, I didn't apply with the LA County sheriffs because I did not want to work the jails.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: so, um, you know, it, it, but it wasn't something that I really gave it much thought, but it sounds very interesting to me, you know, and, um, uh, you know, Brandon, thank you for, you know, answering our questions. You know, that, that that's actually been, I really enjoyed this interview.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you. And we will be back. In, in fact, Minerva, the next, inter, the next uh, podcast we're going to do, I mean, the next podcast that we're going to publish is going to be a surprise podcast. It's going to be really, really cool. You guys are going to want to tune in for that next podcast. Thank you, Brandon, for being here again. Thanks a lot, everybody. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for listening to the Police Applicant Podcast. We are the premier police background prep site in the U.S. and Canada. For more information on scheduling your police background consultation, go to policebackground.net. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes.